Welcome, Sojourners. This is Jonathan with Sojourners Awake, and this is our production of Sojourners Spotlight, RPG news and interviews. And today, we have the spotlight on Ted, who plays Felthren Grovelor in the Blood War series, and is currently playing Vaughn Steeplebottom in The Bookish and the Brave. And so for now, our story continues. Our very first game was March 2020. And I remember you were so in, you were so encouraging to play with and so insistent that we play that we just called each other. Yeah. Like I remember doing that like that one it was just a phone call of the idea. Yeah, I didn't know how it was gonna work. Uh, obviously I'd never played any games but live. Uh, but man, it's worked out great. I think how we've overcome that, and you can tell me if you what you think about this. We do a little bit, I do a little bit more directing as to like, who's talking, who's who's in the spotlight, who's next. And as we've done that, you guys have learned to listen to each other's rhythms and pick up when it's time for someone to stop talking and for the other person to start. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, your direction has been great. And then uh, the three of us have just kind of figured out how to know when who's going to talk and all that good stuff. Uh, it does work out pretty well. And when you're in person, yeah, you can obviously see each other's faces and know who's going to start talking a little bit quicker, who who sat up in their chair a little bit or started to lean <laughs> forward. It's a little easier to pick up in person than it is online. Tell me about the difference between Felthrin and Vaughn and maybe any similarities you've noticed between those two players, two, two characters. So Felthrin uh, was a dwarf who a little bit of backstory so kind of a tiny bit of spoiler for those of you that haven't listened to the story but i won't go too deep into it uh felthren was a dwarf who was uh basically removed from his home and ended up spending a hundred years in the forest where he where he connected with some druids and practiced uh druidic arts and then as uh as life came back around and he ended up needing to adventure a little bit and uh, there was a purpose in life for him outside of the forest, he quickly tapped back into his upbringing, which was as a, as a fighter defender uh, for his dwarven clan. And so that's how he plays out the campaign. Um, Mechanically, he was a second level druid and then just took fighter all the way through from there. But um, yeah, so one of the similarities between the two of them is my intention for both of them were to kind of be a little bit background characters, maybe not the not the face of the party. And um, it just doesn't happen that way. And I I really want to play one of those characters someday. But uh, Vaughn was supposed to be this uh, kind of background quiet guy too. And then I look at the other two characters and they're both trying to play that direction too. And I think, oh, well, I guess uh, I guess Vaughn becomes the, uh, not necessarily the leader, but kind of the face man of this party as well, which is hilarious because also mechanically, I don't ever, well, neither one of these characters were rolled up as charisma based characters. So 
they're doing all Felthron was the worst. I think he actually had a negative one in charisma for his modifier. So he was stepping up to be the face of the party all the time and then just rolling garbage when he had to roll for it and uh, which made for fun uh, fun encounters. But uh, Felthran was, uh, I, I think they both, the similarity is they both see themselves as the defender of, of their party mates. And they're both, uh, they're both willing to and even desirous to jump in to defend the people that need defending and especially their, uh, their companions. With Felthren, I think going back to his druid ways, you did such a good job laying the groundwork. This is what I imagined him to be. He had a really bad experience losing his hometown and then just retreated and pretty much had resigned to retire, just taking care of his simple parcel of land and then was really you know, called to action to get back in the game. And then right at that level three, you were like, hey, can I take fighter class and start using shield, shields and metal weapons and get back in that groove? And we told that story of Felthrin like laying aside his druidic ways, not forgetting them completely, but really um, kind of waking up from sleep. I saw him doing that. Is is that what you saw? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really great evaluation. And uh, as I remember back, I think there were many episodes where that uh, that pendulum slowly swang from being being a druid to tapping back into his fighter roots uh, until he was a full blown blown fighter. I think I don't think that actually happened until man, maybe 10, 10 or 12 episodes in, 10 or 12 sessions in, where he finally was embracing, yeah, this is who I am. And, and the other stuff, it's still part of who I am. I spent a long time doing it, but I am, I am actually this fighter. And, uh, and that's kind of when he stepped forward too, which is hilarious because obviously fighters do a lot of damage when they fight, but as far as if we were to go back and do the math, I would guess that the other party members probably did equal or more damage than I did along the way. But somehow I was the, I was the front guy, and uh, and and wanted to be, and and felt like I was supposed to be, or Felthren was supposed to be. Thinking about Felthren, a lot of times he did a lot of speech, and like you said, being the face of the party, and there was some level of challenge and. I called for a roll and the dice didn't favor it. And I would have to make up a reason as to why Felthren's not making headway. But I noticed Bramble at that point would step in. And that's a really cool dynamic that I see happen with players in that just because a player fails at something doesn't mean it's the end of the story. Another player can pick up where they left off and kind of catch the rebound. And you and Brandon definitely developed a good like back and forth you know, Abbott and Costello kind of dynamic where Felthorn would set it up, it wouldn't work, and then Bramble would be right there catching the rebound in whatever social situation there was in. And usually what Bramble said usually worked because he had like a plus 11 to charisma or something. It was ridiculous. Yeah, Brandon's, uh, as a player, he's, he's incredible with following the story and knowing at any given moment how he can contribute or or support what's happening so that when something does go sideways he's right there to pick it up and uh, i think that's it's phenomenal play with somebody that can see see the game in his mind like that and be ready to uh, to step forward and, and make something happen 
so yeah, it's been it's been great. I I, I feel like if Felthran or if I seem like a good player when I'm playing Felthran and Vaughn, I think it's largely contributed to how good a player uh, how good a players Brandon and Patrick are because I think they they really make me look good in in a lot of situations uh, with other players I may just look like a stupid guy that's trying to <laughs> charge but uh, but they really do make the whole thing come together and make it work make it work well Vaughn is very similar to Felthorn in that in that he is kind of the reluctant face of the party but unlike Felthorn Vaughn was woken up into a nightmare and I thrust a pretty large tragedy on you guys in the very beginning of the story by burning your home so this is a two-part question. You know, how did Vaughn experience all that? How did Ted experience all that thematically? And then what might Vaughn want to further explore with Boshan, considering he had spent so much time there? Now he's in Bald Top Library. Would he ever want to go back? Would he ever want to explore? Uh, Vaughn, Vaughn's lifestyle in Boshan was, uh, was very dualistic. He was... He was the heir to the to the leadership of his royal family or his his uh, his upper class family, uh, but then he was also spending so much time in the lower city, uh, helping people out and caring for the poor and uh, representing the uh, the order um, of the monks with the people there and uh, and I think that's really what he wanted to do, and so. Um, so to lose his family obviously was tragic and uh, and very, very hard on him. Uh, he knew what he was supposed to do before that happened. And so it didn't sway his path necessarily. But as far as Boshan goes, I am confident that Vaughn would love to go back, check on his friends that, uh, that live in the lower city, uh, the people that he's met along the way. You know, he's, he made some good friends there and um, and people that he'd helped out. You know, Felix, I think about Felix, the crippled guy that uh, that he had that conversation with uh, one of the first sessions. And um, I just I think he would I think he would like to go incognito. And then there's a part of him, too, that um, kind of like the little kid who kicks the kicks the robber in the shin and the guy laughs at him. I think Vaughn wants to grow up. And then go uh, go find Basile and figure out uh, how he can stop this guy. Because uh, yeah, definitely uh, somebody killing your family is is a significant motivation to uh, to try to put an end to what that guy's doing. Yeah, that's the second time I've heard Lord Basile needs to be dealt with. So I'm thinking of drawing that out. It definitely seems to be the thread that everyone's wanting to follow. Well, how does Vaughn then relate to Sterling? What's that relationship like between Vaughn and Sterling? And in case you didn't hear, I'll give you the details. Sterling regarded Vaughn as a little bit of a competition. It's funny. I, Vaughn, I think Vaughn looks at Sterling as a, um, gosh, just a really naive, um, kind of a pest, kind of, uh, lacks focus, lacks discipline, lacks, lacks uh, motivation, uh, which is not true, of course, because he's got this desire to learn and he wants to do all these things, but those aren't the things that, uh, that 
piqued Vaughn's interest. You know, Vaughn's all about the task at hand and physical fitness and being strong and being prepared and knowing where to go and what to do and when to go and, and when to do. And I think Sterling's strengths lie in the exact opposite of the realm of uh, activity uh, from Vaughn. So I think Vaughn would Vaughn would see him kind of like the session when we were going through the uh, when we were going through the rooms and we were trying to find out, uh, you know, when we were dealing with the book and, uh, and, you know, he got distracted by that kid writing poetry and he just got stuck there. And, and that's kind of how Vaughn views Sterling at this point is like, come on, let's go. Little focus, little attention, little, uh, motivation and a little bit of sense of urgency, you know, stop fooling around with poem lyrics and, uh, gazing at the stars and wanting to read all the books. Let's just get things done. That is a perfect dynamic. And it, it balances so well. Uh, the story kind of expands into, you know, chasing cats and chasing gooses. Sterling pr definitely provides that. He he moves throughout Bald Top very well. And then Vaughn getting things back on track. And like you said, yes, I think Patrick would agree. Sterling is a bit naive. He's not he's not experienced all the ways of the world that maybe Vaughn has at least seen, if not experienced. Right. Yeah. I would say seen more than experienced. I think, uh, although, although he's not super young, he's in his late twenties and, um, he comes from a family that gave him kind of like at ball top in Boshin up until the uh, rebellion, he had kind of free reign to be where he wanted to be when he wanted to be there. So he's seen a lot, he's experienced a lot, but, um, but I think, I think he's experienced a lot through other folks. And I think his, his life and lifestyle were pretty simplistic. I think he, he did the things that a nobleman does, and then he did the things that a monk does, and he didn't stray from either one of those tasks very often. Regarding Hawkins, he has described Vaughn as a older brother. Very interesting dynamic. Um, considering that Vaughn has lived this noble life in which most of his life, uh, and especially his parents' life, the nobles experienced the height of power in Boshan. And Vaughn's generation was the one that kind of saw Boshan tank and crash and burn and develop corruption and revolution. If Hawkins sees Vaughn as an older brother, how, considering where Vaughn has come from, how would he relate to Hawkins? I think Vaughn sees Hawkins as uh, a little brother, but even more than that, someone that just needs to be protected. Because he understands, he hears the stories about um, Hawkins' parents and their influence and who they are and such, but all he sees is a little tiny, somewhat nervous, somewhat timid, um, not necessarily cowardly, but maybe a little even cowardly uh, guy. And uh, as, as a bigger, stronger, physically, somewhat physically imposing guy, I mean, I know it's not as big as Sterling, but, uh, but uh, I, I think he feels, he feels like a physical presence. And so to have somebody who's small and timid, I think Vaughn feels like uh, protecting Hawkins is the number one priority in the process. Uh, kind of feels like Sterling can 
Sterling could survive a blow or two, and, uh, but Hawkins needs to be protected. And it's, you know, mechanically speaking, that's not true at all. But, uh, but as the story goes and as Vaughn would see it, he would just kind of—he just kind of sees Sterling as the happy-go-lucky guy, and uh, Hawkins as the, the timid, the timid little guy. And um, but he also leans heavily on Hawkins' uh, intellect, and really, really values what Hawkins can bring to the table in that way. Because Vaughn, while he's not dumb, he has very little interest in the uh, in the book learning that the other two guys do and so if he can if he can bypass a couple hours of book learning by asking 10 minutes of questions he's going to do that every single time and Hawkins is his go-to I remember that uh, that scene was set up so perfectly and when Vaughn walked in the room and said okay what do I need to know for the test and you did, you capitalized on Hawkins' ability just to skim through tons of information and bring out just the details. And of course, Hawkins said like, yeah, you think they could have put this in 1,200 pages, it could have whittled down to 12 pages of what you just need to know for the test, which has been fun to see because, you know, Bob Top's not perfect. It's not a perfect setting. It's interesting to see the level of uh, critique the players and characters have come to uh, describe in the setting, which I've picked up on and decided, okay, yeah, Bald Top's got a little bit more of a, maybe a bureaucratic process that can seem really confusing to someone who's so pragmatic as Vaughn. Yeah, Vaughn for sure is pragmatic. And he's also, um, he's also not, you know, he, he joined the monastery for a reason. He made relationship um, and, and that was how he, did his learning was through relationship and mentorship and then at the library uh, he did as much book learning as he had to but really his gains came through his time with Sigurd so that's that's what he wants he's not interested in book learning and he understands that he's in a place that that's what people are there for but that's not his thing and so he's always going to prefer to be in a mentor relationship uh, sitting down with somebody uh, over an ale or a or a meal to uh, to glean information from them that way uh, versus taking the time to read a book and so I, I think not it not necessarily in an arrogant way or a judgmental way but I think he looks around and sees these people that live for the books and feels like they're really missing out on life because man you know, somebody else could read 100 hours and then tell you for 15 minutes and you'll know most of what they know and you could be doing other things. That's what he would, that's how I think how he would go about it. I think that's why I like playing with you so much because that is a very different character than Felthrin. And it is, I've found it sometimes difficult to just stick with a character ideal. And you've played Vaughn very well and sticking with that ideal, I mean, you've said it perfectly. He sees like, well, I could spend 15 minutes listening to someone talk about the book and still have the exact same information. Uh, so that's that's a that's a great character ideal, and I think you've stuck with it well. Contrasting with Felthrin, who was a completely different person. So that's why it's fun playing and role playing with you, Ted. Um, I've enjoyed that greatly. Yeah. Well, and of course, uh, we we all know that it's not true at all. 
like he, he can't just have a 15 minute conversation and know everything that everybody else knows, but in his mind, he knows enough that it's okay. And I'm sure that's going to bite him in the backside at some point here. But, um, but for now he's good with it. He's, he's okay with the idea that I know enough about that stuff. He's, I think he's the guy that would dominate PE and celebrate his C minuses. I think he's that kid. Well, speaking of getting bit in the butt, um, and speaking of Vaughn's low charisma, in the story, Vaughn failed a charisma saving throw against a fey creature, a dryad. And when I designed the encounter, I was thinking of, okay, an interesting way for you guys to get to the wilderness. I wanted to be some threat of life, but I also wanted to, there to be some kind of baggage you could carry with you. And I had been exploring the idea of like, okay, how do you like, you know, how do fey creatures come into being? And you know, in my world, Feywild is called Dreamland. And so it's very crafted through dreams and imagination, a lot of magical power there. And I decided like, okay, there's going to be this dryad and she's going to, you know, she's going to desire the sojourners to come through and get eaten by the wolves to serve her master. But she's also got some personal ambition as well. She wants to create a fairy to kind of prolong her existence and, you know, create something in the world, not just be a a stagnant person, but to bring something to life. But she can't do it unless she charms a mortal to give her a kiss. And that kiss births her creative process to life and she can make a fairy and then that, that's her her baby, you know? And Vaughn got to be the father of that creation in the world. And um, if you've listened to it, you probably know, okay, that's what's happened. But Vaughn doesn't really know at all. Um, so how do you think that encounter went? And, um, keeping in mind, I, as a dungeon master, always have a plan for how everything could either help or hinder a character and provide some level of challenge as well as provide some level of benefit. Um, how do you think that encounter went and what kind of future do you might see Vaughn experiencing with this this plot thread well i i love it i anytime anytime something can go so sideways like that it makes me happy you know i think about felthran and yinagu that's one of my favorite moments that we've played together because it just went horribly wrong and it just kept going horribly wrong and i love that i think when when the dice when the dice make the game go sideways and everybody has to adjust to it and we get to develop a part of the storyline that we never thought we would go to, or maybe you did, but I never did. Um, yeah, that that, uh, that brings me great joy because it's really easy to play a linear game. and um, But to do something that gets crooked is, is a lot of fun. So I, uh, yeah, getting charmed was no big deal. I thought that was fun. And then the fact that I didn't really ever have a chance or get to break that charm uh, was added some serious tension to the moment. And and then I just had to play it the way it was, right? Vaughn was, he was charmed. So what's he gonna do? He's gonna, he's gonna do what he has to do. He's gonna give her a kiss. And uh, of course he, of course he doesn't know that that's how the procreation process happens for the, uh, for the uh, Fae folk. So uh, if and when that comes to light for him, uh, I think he will lose his mind a little bit. But um, 
I don't know. I don't know how that will play out. I don't. I don't see him as an overtly violent person, but uh, I think I think there could be some uh, there could be some uh, non non living carnage at that moment. Uh, I, I think he I think he could uh, he could definitely get a little frustrated and maybe need a moment or twelve and try to figure out what that means. I um, yeah, honestly, I don't know how he would react, especially if Trina comes at him. Um, wanting there to be some sort of relationship in this process um you know he was manipulated so i don't think uh i don't think he would have any interest in being around her again as as he proved the next time he saw her uh, i don't think that'll change and uh, and i think he'll feel even more manipulated uh if and when he finds this when he gets this information and, and figures this out so that reminds me of like using curses in Dungeons and Dragons, because a lot of times when you impose like a curse upon a player, it can simply be solved with a spell. And then another player casts a spell, restores you back to normal, and there's no real, the tension is just immediately present and then gone. And what I like to do in my games, whether it be like a werewolf curse or a fey curse or some kind of charm, that effect tends to go on throughout time develops into a storyline and then is resolved with some kind of arc whether it be you discover the cure for lycanthropy in a well uh, some kind of like pool of of life or finding out you know this this creature was created by imagination by um, inspiration and now is present in the world uh, what does that mean for the rest of the plot what does that mean for the character development um, obviously it's not like the same thing as having a living, like a child per se. We didn't really explore that theme. This is more something like, this is a creative force that happened because of a, a dice decision and the chips fell towards Vaughn. Had it been Hawkins, had it been Sterling, it would be completely different because of the players and like what you said, like how would Vaughn respond to this uh, new information? <laughs> We'll just leave it at that. Just like that's just going to be new information for him, which is something I wanted to explore as a dungeon master. Like, what happens if I hand someone, a uh, hand a player and a character surprise? You have this added responsibility. Um, now you still have to accomplish your mission, but what's it going to look like from here on out? Which, with everything you've described to Vaughn, um thinking about like his lineage. Family was a big deal, right? His family of the past is gone. You know, this creature coming into his life is the closest thing he might have to as a family as far as like a creative process goes. With the exception of Sterling and Hawkins, of course, who are sojourners with him. There's a lot of interesting themes to pull at. So that's a big world of inspiration that we'll just have to see how it turns out. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think it's interesting. I, you know, I don't, I don't know that Vaughn's to the place now where he sees Hawkins and Sterling as family. I think that's still going to take a while. Uh, he sees them as guys that he goes around with and they help him and he helps them and he's uh, responsible to protect them. But I don't know that he would see them as family yet. Um, yeah, I, do, I honestly, I, I, can't, I can't tell you what it's going to look like if and when he finds this out. But uh, I know that he's still a little iffy with magic, which seems to be a little bit of a theme between my characters so far. At some point, I'm going to have to play a, 
magic user so that I can kick this uh, this typecast. But um, but yeah, I think yeah, there's it, it's going to be it's going to be complicated in his mind to to learn the details of how that actually worked and to because he understands how human procreation works, uh, but to to realize that you could create a fae being by a kiss and then by doing that being manipulated uh, and all of it centered around magic is uh, is going to be an interesting uh, twist for him and something uh, something that'll be fun to deal with. Well, speaking of creation, you have chosen Way of the Kensei as a monk. And one of the features of that class is Way of the Brush. You came, you gain proficiency with your choice of calligrapher's supplies or painter's supplies. Uh, I don't know, which one have you chosen? A calligraphy. Cal calligraphy is a process of creation. So it'd be interesting to kind of weave the themes of creation into however Vaughn decides to express calligraphy. So yeah, it's such I an interesting thing. Oh, sorry. I was going to say the, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a benign feature, but, mm -hmm. uh, it might be, it might be the, the avenue that Vaughn then touches and reaches a different part of his brain, a uh, different part of his being and opens up a little bit more of that creative side, which then could potentially open him up a little bit more to the ideas of magic and how they work and the creativity behind them. So, uh, yeah, I, I I hope and I look forward to seeing how we can work together to to make that not as benign as it seems. Yeah, perfect, because I don't want anything to go to waste. And we're just talking now. We're just brainstorming, coming up with these ideas on how to make everything count on your character sheet. And Way of the Brush, uh, helping Vaughn kind of tap into that magical essence through his key and through understanding the big wild world of magic, it could come through his his love or his dedication to calligraphy. However, he's learned that. And I did want to answer two questions. Uh, we talked about Agile Perry and Kensei Shot. Uh, that's an interesting feature. You do not use any key points for that at all. It's just limited to once per turn. So that's kind of, it's a turn-based feature, but it really makes the monk um, gain a plus two bonus to armor class. Uh, until the start of their next turn. And Kinsei shot, you get to add uh, damage. Um, yeah, extra damage on top of that. So that, the, I think the whole point of the way of the Kinsei monk is to make a monk that does a lot of damage and has a lot of weapon options, uh, which is good. And hopefully those dice can be in your favor and you can roll really high. Yeah, I think uh, mechanically a monk is pretty beneficial to a party in the earlier levels. Um, Damage, damage per level is pretty good in the lower levels and then falls off pretty significantly as time goes on. So uh, yeah, I, I, I hope that the way of the Kinsai will allow me to, uh, to continue to tr contribute to the party in a meaningful way and not just become a meat shield. You studied, you studied about one year at Bald Top Library. What features did you pick up as a character? So I picked up, um, uh, let me get here. Uh, so I did. I picked up uh, the Sentinel feet. So uh, I, I I started off early on with the uh, with the mobile feet, and so 
the idea is I want to be able to tank and also able to retreat. And I also want to, when I'm tanking, if I don't want you to run away, I want to be able to keep you from running away. So I, Vaughn, my, my idea behind the build on Vaughn is no matter what the fighting situation, whether he's long distance with his bow or he's up close with his sword, uh, that he's in control. If he doesn't want you to move, you don't get to move. If he wants to move, he gets to move. And so uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, I picked up Sent Sentinel. I um, oh yeah yeah. I picked up the um, I picked up the skill expert, and that was uh, that was one where I could uh, where I could choose a proficiency. I could uh, double a proficiency, and I could add one ability point. So I used the one ability point to increase my strength by one. Um, just to get that to an even number and increase my modifier. And then the proficiency I picked up was sleight of hand. And then I doubled my proficiency in stealth. So again, the idea is I can be where I want to be, when I want to be there, and you can't stop me. Yeah. And then my, my seventh point uh, was uh, thieves tools. So not mm -hmm. because he expects to go steal things, but just because he wants to be able to open door. I, I, th I think the theme that's coming out now is that Vaughn wants to be in control. He wants to be in control of his situation, no matter where he's at, no matter what's going on, he wants to be the one that uh, calls the shots and determines what happens. Yeah, I was just thinking that control is a big theme around Vaughn and perfection, right? He's, he's perfect, he's aligned, he's in control, uh, he doesn't let anyone get the best of him. I mean, there's a lot of themes around that. So <laughs> creating a chaotic world, I can't believe. I mean, Boshin has fallen and, you know, introducing this this very pro, uh, creation process. I, I can see why he doesn't care for magic too much. It's just hard to understand. It's hard to control. It's hard to maintain, uh, but I think maybe when Vaughn reaches that point of realizing how to control it and how to live interdependently with magic in this balanced way, I think that's really going to touch at the essence of who he is. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I, he will get there. Obviously, as the key plays out a little bit more and he starts doing things that he can't rationally explain, that he can't, uh, that he can't come up with in his brain how that works, whether it's moving faster or striking more often or whatever whatever those things are, uh, he's going to have to come to terms with, yeah, maybe there is something outside of my physical ability that's, uh, that's at play here. So one thing I love about these interviews is that other players get to listen to it and hear the creation process of the character. I hope this does inspire them as well as inspire the players, you know, Brandon and Patrick to hear how Vaughn thinks and how they could play upon those themes, how it all connects together. I mean, it's without any big discussion on character development, I think we've created a really rich party cast or a cast of characters here in this party. Um, no two are alike. There's a little bit of overlap for the most part. It's a very diverse and dynamic group of characters. I have enjoyed talking with you about playing the game. And I enjoy, of course, playing the game and telling the story together. Uh, I just want to say thank you uh, for just pursuing with me in this whole endeavor. Um, it's started out really small, just hanging out in our house and playing the games. And I'm just so glad we were able to continue it 
throughout the years. It's been almost three years of playing together. And it's been really memorable for me, memorable for my family. And uh, just the kids saying, you know, is Ted coming over to the house today? Is Ted gonna bring food by today? Um, you've been more than a friend, you've been a brother. And um, I've just really enjoyed getting to know you over the years. I agree, Jonathan, it's been so much fun. I, uh, I've been dying to uh, get back into the game and I, I played a different game in town for a little while and it was great, but it was a little bit of a travel for me. And so uh, to meet you and, uh, and get to know you and, and see your passion for the game. And one thing I, I wanna give you some credit for here is uh, I always struggled to truly embrace uh, characters, whether it's voices or things like that, um, and even struggled to fully develop their personalities, uh, even in the background. And playing with you has, uh, has freed me up in that and given me the, uh, I don't know if confidence is the right word, but just um, desire to, to play out a voice and to to play out a persona and to live by it and make that make that a key feature in, in what we're doing. And it just makes the storytelling so much better. And so I, I could never go back to one of those uh, standard games that happens so often where uh, where people are just sitting around the table and they, they always they always talk in a different person and uh, they're never truly representing their character. Yeah, I don't think I could ever do that again after getting to play with you all this time. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to learn more about the game from you and, uh, and then to get to uh, participate with you. And obviously to get to know you as a person. Thank you so much, Ted. That, that means a lot and uh, really hits home to why I do this and why I love telling stories. Um, it really is about getting to know you and getting to know the people around my table and bringing all these stories to life together. And it takes two, you know, it takes more than just one person to tell the story. It's not history, it's not my story, it's our story. Every conversation must come to an end, so now we conclude. Thank you for listening, Sojourners. Your, your attention will not go unrewarded and we look forward to continuing many more conversations with you. And as always, may your story continue. If you liked this background music and ambiance, please go check out Tabletop Audio. You can find them at www.tabletopaudio.com.